Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Myth or fact? Kudzu is an arrogant and saucy Peruvian emperor who was transformed into a talking llama. Oh wait, that was Cusco. <laughs> Well, that brings us into today's episode, Kudzu. Kudzu. Some people call this plant the vine that ate the south, at least in the U.S. they do. Uh, Kudzu is a twinning perennial vine from the pea family, also known as, and again, I'm going to totally butcher this name, Fabaceae. Fabaceae? And it's also known as the Japanese or Chinese arrowroot. Mm-hmm. So, so where are its origins? Yeah, so like you might guess, uh, the plant is native to Japan and China. And it's known to be in more like mountainous or kind of like difficult to grow regions of those countries. But... It's known for its kind of starchy roots and the fiber, uh, the fibrous kind of material that can be made from its stems. So some people have also seen it as an attractive ornamental plant. It can be used as fodder for livestock. And the vine itself is a very fast growing, woody, somewhat hairy plant. Uh, with a substantial tap root. And we now know that in their best conditions, they have been able to grow up to 60 feet in one season, which is a pretty hefty amount of space. I see why they use it to feed livestock. Yeah, and livestock is one really great way to kind of control it because usually based off of feeding patterns, especially if you're kind of like migrating around uh, the way livestock does, it tends to allow it to grow, but not necessarily overgrow. Um, And this plant specifically, it does have seeds, but it spreads very much through its rhizomous roots which we've kind of talked about rhizomes before with like begonias and some other grasses and plants and it is a easy way for the plant to spread out far quickly because it just allows the plant these new smaller formations of the plant to take nutrients from the bigger already established parts of the plant and i previously didn't know this but uh, kudzu actually has some really beautiful flowers that go with it. They're like a reddish purple flower, and they're very pleasantly fragrant. Hmm. Almost like a grape smell or like a grape honey smell. And are they little bitty flowers? They are kind of like, have you ever seen like Veronica? So it's like uh, up 
stem almost where a bunch of little flowers grow on one stem although it's not like a traditional stem but a stalk maybe is more appropriate word yeah i can imagine it now yeah and they're like a dark purpley red color so they're really pretty and um, kudzu does tend to die back in the winter in its native regions because it gets cold enough for that so possibly with its most notable regions being in Japan and then later being introduced, they believe, to Chinese and Korean environments. And like I said, it thrives in mountainous regions. So Kudzu was actually first introduced to the U.S. in 1876. And it was introduced by the World's Fair in Philadelphia in the Japanese pavilion. So... In the Japanese pavilion, they had a Japanese garden display, and kudzu was included in that display. And so people did use kudzu as an ornamental vine in the late 1800s and sometimes in the early 1900s because people did love its grape-smelling flowers. It was seen as a little bit of a finicky plant to grow on its own from seed because it could take a little bit of time to really establish. And initially it didn't really do so well for cows and horses to eat if they were given the chance because when the plant is small, they would just eliminate essentially the whole plant. Mm -hmm. And then you know kill the whole thing so it was kind of not useful in that initial way and many herbicides have no real effect on this plant some even actually stimulate the plant's growth so even effective ways now can take 10 years to actually kill the plant so it's interesting to know that at first it was so almost like useless you wouldn't even know that it could become what it did become later on because now we have a huge problem with it and it's very difficult to kill yeah especially if herbicides take 10 years see this is why we just need a bunch of goats eating up all of our invasive plants (laughs) (laughs) yeah um Well, so the main thing that really brought kudzu to kind of the more invasive plant that we know it as today is that in September of 1933, the Soil Conservation Service was established. And that was really to deal with some major issues of erosion in the U.S. You know, this is times of the Dust Bowl and things like that where erosion was becoming a huge issue. And so kudzu was really heavily promoted to deal with this problem. It was believed that it would help prevent the erosion and might also help with some economic issues that were associated with kind of the cotton and tobacco monoculture that we had created and that had also destroyed a lot of the land. And so the government agency actually offered as much as $8 per acre to anyone willing to plant the vine. 
which during this time period was quite a significant amount of money. And so by 1946, it's estimated that about 3 million acres of land had planted kudzu. And this was in part because this same conservation service had also helped to form the Civilian Conservation Corps, which was basically a way to give people jobs planting this plant to help the farmers and help stop erosion, especially because this plant needed a little bit of help to get established. And probably one of the people who really spurred this movement, interestingly enough, was a man by the name of Channing Cope. And he was a radio show host in Georgia who wrote gardening articles for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So Cope called Kudzu the miracle vine. He even really spoke of it in very religious terms, like, this is the king of all plants, the savior of our southern lands kind of deal. And he proposed kind of like what we talked about just a little bit earlier, a rotational system of grazing that involved kudzu and natural grasses to keep the soil from quote unquote washing away. And this is actually one of the, not the earliest by any means, but one of the earlier, more established ideas of permaculture. And so permaculture is a set of design principles that are centered on a whole system of thinking and utilizing the patterns and resilient features of a plant and its natural ecosystem. So they really tried to use kudzu to help people. They really believe that it could be something useful initially. So what was the turning point? Was it just that they didn't keep up with like enough grazing and so it just kind of never became cut back? So there were kind of a couple of things that happened at the same time that really affected kudzu in the south so the first thing was that farmers couldn't really find a way to make money on the crop and so there were these acres and acres of land filled with this plant that was not making them any money and still kind of causing these farmers to go bankrupt and then even when you wanted to get rid of this plant to make room for something else, it proved to be incredibly difficult. Um, even by like the 1950s or so, the Soil Conservation Service was backpedaling hard <laughs> on its endorsement of kudzu. Massive transportation to favorable soil along with the perfect conditions for growth and this mass planting just kind of led to the rise of kudzu, which was becoming a nuisance very quickly, more than a help. And the plant could quickly mass carpet swaths of land, killing native plants, and even going as far as climbing up trees and suffocating trees. <laughs> 
uh, blocking all these other plants from getting light. And it's interesting because even though kudzu is largely ignored by writers as a whole, there is this one kind of famous, or maybe not famous, but semi-popular poem by James Dickey, which compares kudzu to, like, snakes or war invaders. And unfortunately, this also kind of led to kudzu being almost like a metaphor for letting in immigrants. So people viewed the way that this plant came in and kind of took over and had this negative effect and compared it to essentially like Chinese and Japanese immigrants coming over and trying to be used for something positive and then having a negative effect, which is a pretty horrible comparison for many reasons, but it is cited in quite a few things that I saw. Um, and even in this famous poem, it kind of seems like there's a little bit of an allusion to that, especially right after the war and with some of those like sentiments from World War II. But on the flip side of that, many people came to the defense of kudzu. And they used the principles of kind of going back to its Asian roots to look at some of its positive uses and use it for some of its more traditional Asian um, healing or culinary purposes. And there was actually a book written by a man named William Shirtleft in conjunction with another writer who was Japanese, Akiko Aoyagi. And they proposed adaptions for its uses on American soil since it was already there and to hopefully make something positive out of it. Uh, most recently, there are some people who find kudzu vine very useful in Things like basket making. Also, you can make some foods such as jelly and syrup from it. And even more recently, uh, in 2009, there was the introduction of the Japanese kudzu bug, which was found near the Atlanta International Airport, literally believed to have possibly hitched a ride on a plane. <laughs> which is insane. Uh, and since then, it has actually been eradicating some of the South's kudzu population. So you do see a lot more um, in, infected or infested poppy, smaller populations of kudzu there as this bug population continues to grow and eat it. And that just happened naturally. They found another source of their specific food. <laughs> they they hitched a ride to Atlanta, not knowing what to expect, and they were like, "Dude, this is like, like oh. my paradise." <laughs> mm -hmm. Nobody's eating this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then just to. 
kind of go into really what some of these, um, you know, Asian cultural purposes were. You know, in Chinese medicine, kudzu, which is called, and I'm sure I'm going to mess this up because for whatever reason I couldn't find a translation with the intonation that goes with the name, which is very important in Chinese language, but uh, it's called gay gen. And it has been used for centuries to treat stiff necks, sprains, thirst, and diarrhea. But most importantly, it has been used to curb drinking and even as a hangover cure. So in simplified-ish terms, and I'm sure I'm really oversimplifying it, but this is what I got from the information that I found. Alcohol is considered that's something that warms and heats the body in Chinese medicine, and kudzu is considered a cooling herb. And so in that way, you are able to rebalance kind of your yin and yang um, by, you know, taking this thing that warms up the body and kudzu kind of getting rid of that heat for you, targeting the spleen and stomach, which is what Chinese medicine believes is effective by alcohol. So... It has definitely an interesting purpose there, and this use of using it to curb uh, drinking kind of sparked other interests in possibly curbing alcoholism. So one of the more recent studies is there was a study at Harvard Medical School in 2005 where heavy drinkers were given kudzu pills basically, and found to have taken smaller sips, took longer to consume each beverage, and drank substantially fewer drinks while reporting no major side effects. Wow. Although, obviously, there does need to be further studies to determine its true effectiveness. But it does have this long-standing use as a way to curb drinking, so it might very well be a helpful thing to continue to research as far as alcoholism goes yeah that sounds pretty amazing i've never heard of like research into different things that could stop people from drinking that doesn't just like immediately make you vomit so right it's cool that they're they're looking at you know other traditions and forms of medicine like that and it definitely seems like part of the reason it might even be effective is that the effects of your drinking kind of come on a little bit quicker. And so you're not as tempted to drink more. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thought as well. But it definitely is something that they're looking into to see if it will possibly be effective uh, in the future. And Kudzu has a lot of other kind of uses as well. As a food, you can eat kudzu leaves, vine tips, flowers, and roots, although the main actual vine uh, is technically not considered edible. So kudzu is used in Japan to make herbal tea and tinctures. 
as well as an herbal medicine, very similar to its uses in Chinese medicine, um, since Japan does also, you know, have some Chinese medicine practices as a base for textile production. So kind of like we talked about earlier, uh, with its ability to kind of make fibers, it can be used to make clothes. And it's also often used as a vegan starch in foods. And in Korea, kudzu starch is also used in a lot of foods, and the leaves are used in things like naengmyeong, which is a noodle dish. And when they took this for the book that they wrote, where they had some culinary uses for it, there are some people in the South who have used it as food. It can be used in salads, on sandwiches. The flowers have been used as edible cake decorations. Older leaves can be deep fried and eaten like potato chips, or larger ones can be used as like spring or egg roll wraps. So there is a lot of it and it definitely is a very invasive plant. But people are finding ways to effectively use this plant as we continue moving forward. I really love hearing that there's like this whole other plant that people are using for food and for medicine. And it's like a part of their repertoire. And I'm like, oh, I've never even heard of it. That's so funny. Yeah, I've always heard of kudzu as this plant. And it does costs a lot of money in maintenance, especially in public areas, because it is able to grow once it gets that root in very interesting conditions. So it grows up walls and over cars in yards. And it does have the ability, especially in the South, because it's just like such good conditions for them to really cover and blanket huge areas. But at the same time, it can be useful as well, because plants are amazing. It seems like a cool thing to have start growing over, like, an abandoned fort or castle, you know? Yeah, and the main issue with it in public areas is that the roots, like the roots of many plants... Uh, have the ability to, you know, destroy and break down some of the structures that we make. And that's essentially what really makes it a nuisance. It's like if you've ever grown a zucchini plant in your backyard and had it take over your entire garden. <laughs> because you're not yet an experienced gardener and you didn't know the things we learned. Yep. The things we learned to eat. <laughs> well what's your mini tip my mini tip is if you find some kudzu you should try it why not <laughs> try it eat it yeah why not it's not poisonous so give it a shot sounds good I also would say that while this plant can be an ornamental plant, like you could technically grow this in like a pot in your yard, you do have to be very mindful and careful about its spreading. It can potentially take over your garden. 
Um, but sometimes it also, I mean, it is pretty. Sometimes if it's contained properly and you're watching it, it can be something to admire as well. What are we going to talk about in our next episode? In our next episode, we're going to talk about Kogan grass. Kogan grass. Yep. Can we get a sneak peek? It is a grass also originating from Japan and China. Okay. And it's said to be even worse than kudzu. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm excited to see pictures of what it covers. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you all for joining us on our latest episode on plant stories. This was Kudzu. You can't cut me down. <laughs> if you like this Sorry episode. Sorry we made you wait a week. <laughs> <laughs> we had to take a holiday. Yeah, we did. If you enjoyed our episode, give it a like, a share, talk about it with a friend or family, and join us next week. Bye!